Hello, everybody. Welcome once again. As we continue on in our study now of the Old Testament, we are uh, working chapter by chapter. Uh, those of you, some of you have been with us quite a while. We actually started our journey through the Bible five and a half years ago. We started with the New Testament. That took five years, chapter at a time. And now we're working through the Old Testament, which will take 15 years. Um, and I hope you're all with me still at the end of that. And then my plan is to start all over again, run another 20 years. And at that point, I'll be 90 and somebody else ought to take over by then. So, um, or maybe I'll go every other week. I don't know. <laughs> but the Lord could come back at any time, but at least we'll be studied and ready to go. Um, I think it's very important to go through the Bible like this. It's uh, because it gives you context and it will... Um, it, it sort of encourages you, I was about to say forced, I don't like that word, it encourages you to read parts of the Bible, perhaps you haven't. My, my whole thing would be that as believers, we should have read every part of the Bible and we should be continually reading it. Um, but this way we're going through it. Uh, I get the opportunity to actually read it to the church. Um, so in the course of 20 years, we'll have read every verse to the church, um, which I think is important. And, um, you know, sort of seeing how it all ties together. Uh, I started with the New Testament on purpose because, you, you know, you need that. Um, and now you can see how the Old Testament builds to that and how it's headed. And uh, remember I said in Genesis, um, there's, there's four main events and four main um, people. There's other people, obviously, but four main people. The four main events. And, the, you know, these are, I say this over and over again because I'd like you to be, at the end of 50 weeks, 50 chapters, um, I would like to be able to say to you, what are the four main events and who are the four main people? And I would hope that you would have that down, okay? So not that there will be a test, but that's what the test would be uh, at the end. So if anybody asks you, what's Genesis about? Four main events, which are creation, uh, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. Those are the four main events that happen right there in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So you kind of get that going. After that point in time, it's four main characters that you should know. It's the patriarchs and Joseph. So it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Uh, we're going to finish up Abraham's life today. We're going to start talking about Isaac. Isaac really only gets a few chapters here in Genesis, uh, but that'll record his life. Jacob gets more, and then Joseph gets the bulk of the end of the book and what happens with them. Um, Jacob's still alive then, but the, the story will shift. But we're going to cover Isaac's history pretty quickly, um, starting at the next chapter. We'll, in, we'll meet him this chapter. Then he gets a couple of chapters as we move through it. So, so that's the main thing. So remember, four main events, four main people. That's what I want you to remember at the end of our first year through the Old Testament. If you got that down, good. Oh, and then the crimson thread of redemption. So that started in Genesis 3.15, that you will see throughout the Old Testament weaves this, thread of, you know, weaves this thread of redemption that ends up at the cross. And you can watch it happen throughout. And, and you'll see it now. Is it, you know, it starts uh, you know, in the promise with Abraham. It's going to go to Isaac and then Jacob and then Joseph. And then it's going to follow its way down through the lineage. And you'll get to see all that take place. So those are the big. So the Genesis 3.15 begins the crimson thread of redemption. You should know that. Uh, that's, that is one of the most significant verses in the Bible, Genesis 3.15, because of that process. Four events, four people. That's all you got to know about Genesis. So we're in uh, chapter 25 today. And um, in this chapter, um, Abraham is going to die. And um, we're going to read that event after um, a good life 
Uh, It's recorded in Scripture that he died at a good old age, as the Lord had promised him. Um, You're going to note that he had walked with the Lord for uh, a century, got a hundred years in his journey with God, Um, and um, that he had been the friend of God. James refers to him as the friend of God in James 2.23. It also is going to say that he died full of years, and and that means that that he had uh, more than a quantity of time. It suggests the quality of life. So, so I think that's important. So his, his, he lived a life that was full of years. It was a quality of his life. Abraham's going to leave material wealth to his family. And um, he's going to leave spiritual wealth to the whole world. All who would believe on Jesus Christ. We can trace it all back to this journey with Abraham. Um, when God had renewed Abraham's natural strength... For the beginning of Isaac, um, as you remember, some time ago, um, that strength apparently stayed with him at that point in time, and he was able to actually marry again and have a whole other family um, at at a fairly advanced age. Um, But he makes a distinction between these six new sons and um, his son Isaac. Isaac was God's choice to carry on the covenant line. Um, Keturah's sons receive gifts, but Isaac receives the inheritance and the blessing of the covenant. And, and so all who trust in Jesus are, just like Isaac was, the children of promise. Paul tells us that in Galatians 4.28. So, so we as well in Christ are um, children of promise, just like Isaac was, which I think is pretty cool. And because of Abraham um, and his faithfulness to God, uh, we, we understand that that's the beginning of the, the process uh, and, and uh, to how we get our Savior Jesus Christ. And in the first verse of Matthew, um, in the, in the, the, which is the first part of the New Testament, Abraham's name is joined with the names of David and Jesus Christ. So God promises through Abraham, through him, all the world will be blessed back in Genesis 12, and he has kept that promise in Christ. So you begin to see how all these things tie together throughout this process. All right, Genesis 25, 34 verses... Uh, I'm not sure how many of them we got. I think we got most of them on the notes. Um, But they'll show up overhead. You can read along in your Bibles uh, if you would like. Whatever translation is good. Uh, The NIV is in the rows if you want to use one of those. Uh, I'll be reading out of the NIV. And uh, here we go. Genesis 25 beginning in verse 1. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimram, Jokshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Latushites, and the the Leumites. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, (laughs) I'm sorry, Ephah and Epher are pretty close. If you called one, you might get them both. Ephah, Epher, who do you want? Oh, never mind. Hanak, Abida, and Elda. All these were descendants of Keturah. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave 
of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron son of Zohar the Hittite the field Abraham had brought from the Hittites and there Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah pretty important cave as we've talked about in the past after Abraham's death God blessed his son Isaac who then lived near Beir Lahai Roi this is the account of Abraham's son Ishmael whom Sarah's maidservant Hagar the Egyptian bore to Abraham these are the names of the sons of Ishmael listed in the order of their birth Neboeth the first born of Ishmael Kedar Adbeel Mibsam Mishma Duma Massa Hadad Tima Jetur Nafish and Kedima these were the sons of Ishmael and these are the names of the twelve tribal rulers according to their settlements and camps altogether Ishmael lived 137 years he breathed his laugh and died and was gathered to his people his descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur near the border of Egypt as you go towards Asher and they lived in hostility toward all their brothers this is the account of Abraham's son Isaac Abraham became the father of Isaac and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah daughter of Bethuel the Aramean from Padan Aram the sister of Laban the Aramean Isaac, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren the Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebekah became pregnant the babies jostled each other within her and she said why is this happening to me so she went to inquire of the Lord the Lord said to her two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated one people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger when the time came for her to give birth there were twin boys in her womb the first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment so they named him Esau that's that's just a funny looking baby sorry <laughs> I'm sorry but I'm good now <laughs> after this his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel so he was named Jacob Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter a man of the open country while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents Isaac who had a taste for wild game loved Esau but Rebekah loved Jacob once when Jacob was cooking some stew Esau came in from the open country famished he said to Jacob quick let me have some of that red stew I'm famished uh, that is why he was also called Edom and Jacob replied first sell me your birthright look I'm about to die Esau said what good is the birthright to me but Jacob said swear to me first so he swore an oath to him selling his birthright to Jacob then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew he ate and drank and then got up and left so Esau despised his birthright blessed be the word of the Lord okay so let's just talk about a few things tonight um, that happened there you know some of the uh, we're not gonna cover um, Ishmael and and all of that um, we've already spent some time talking about him so let's talk about uh, the, the main thing I want to talk about tonight is really that birthright at the end so we're gonna to get to that shortly um, verses the first few verses there Abraham like I said he takes another wife Keturah after Sarah dies and um, 
Although the sons and, and uh, the grandson of Abraham and Keturah received a lot of gifts from Abraham during his property, all his authority uh, during his life, all his property and authority went to Isaac, who was his principal heir. So um, he loved those sons. He took care of them, but they were not the heir, um, nor was Ishmael, as we already discovered. It was Isaac, the child of promise. He was the heir of Abraham. Um, and so after a time, um, Isaac pleads, with God because uh, for children uh, with Rebecca um, and so he, he he really gets busy and he asks God to would he would he please you know grant this request that um, Rebecca could have children and um, uh, this is an important thing about prayer too because um, uh, God's going to answer that prayer but not right away um, if you read the chapter it looks like he starts really pleading when he's about 40 and she, he has the baby 20 years later. Um, 20 years is a long time to wait for an answer to prayer. But uh, sometimes we have to wait. And that's part of the process. So, so you know, because I, I think this, I think this is where when we pray, um, I think we tend to get discouraged if we don't get immediate answers. Because we're so used culturally to things happening very quickly that the idea of waiting is so foreign to us that we, we assume... Where a lot of people go is they assume that God's not answering their prayers for whatever reason, and then unfortunately they stop praying. And that's not the pattern that's laid down before us. Um, uh, we're to continue to pray. Uh, you, you know, I would encourage you to do this if you don't already do this. But, but as you pray... Um, start to journal down what you're praying and record it um, and go back to it and keep praying it and then when it's answered write it down that was answered and as long as it hadn't been answered you keep praying for it and that you should have a fairly sort of steady prayer journal a couple of things will happen you'd be surprised at how many things are getting answered that you're not remembering because you're tossing a lot of stuff up there maybe you should be um, and you'll see him get answered. And you'll also see that for some of those things, you have to wait a while. But it's neat to watch God move in them. So, you know, because I'm convinced, this is my, my thought, is that God answers our prayer. He always answers. Um, that's why we, and he tells us to pray. He answers prayer. Um, he answers yes, sometimes. And that's very cool. And sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes it's almost shockingly immediate. Sometimes that's the way prayer gets answered. Um, sometimes um, it's, it's a yes, but you've got to wait. So it's, uh, it's a distant yes, and you might not know that. And sometimes, you know, God answers prayer with a no because it's the best thing for us. And, and I, I think, you know, that um, when an answer is withheld, it's oftentimes God's mercy to us to give us a chance to really sort of dig into what we're asking for. Have you ever asked for something... Um, and then over time realized that it probably wouldn't have been the best thing if it had gone that way um, because you, you sort of have a very limited way of looking at something and you tend to ask for something and um, sometimes we get a little break uh, in the process so we can see that's really not you know what needs to happen and that God has a better plan um, and I think also sometimes when we have to wait it sort of broadens our appreciation for the, for the way that he answers um, I think it also helps us to mature in this whole process. And, and I also think, you know, that there's, there's something about praying as we align ourselves more with the will of God where you'll see those 
your prayers seem to happen more quickly because you're you're praying better. Um, and I don't mean that pray, prayers are always good, but but there's a way to get in there when you you really sort of are trying. You know, we talk about living by trying to do the next right thing. You're you're in that realm where where you, your prayers sort of begin to change because you're you're really trying to pray for you know more of what what he wants than what you want. And and that this is all part of uh, us sort of just growing and maturing in him and learning him and and yet you know God is so merciful and gracious. He answers um I I I also believe this. I know I've said it um that that God is way more ready to answer than than we give him credit for and that we don't we just don't ask enough. And, and sometimes it's just because we're we get through this process and we don't see answers and we stop praying the way we should. And so I'd encourage you um Prayer should be fundamental in your life, um, and if you don't have a, um, a a good established prayer time, uh, this is another one of those things. You know, I'm uh, over time. I will always get back to this. Every everybody should have a a good Bible time scheduled into their lives and reasonable prayer time scheduled into your lives. And that you, if you just leave it to happenstance and chance, that's how it sort of works out, and it's not nearly as good. Um, you, you know, I think there's something. That to be said for a a um, a really sort of planned, disciplined time in our lives for reading and prayer, and and that in this in this point in time, um, if you don't make time for that, it won't happen because there's way too many distractions now. You you can every moment can be filled up with sound and noise, um, and and that's what it will do. And so, um, you know, my encouragement to you is find that spot in time, whatever point in the day works for you. I've gone full circle in this. You know, there was a time when I used to spend all my quality time with the Lord at the end of the night when everybody had gone to bed. It was the only time I could get alone. But, you know, now things have come full circle and it's, it's so now I get up very early in the morning and that's when I have my, my time. My whole life kind of flip-flopped. I don't know how that happens. It just does. So, so I can see um, a value to any time, but it needs to be structured. Um, and so, you know, now if I were to wait till the end of the day, I would fall asleep. <laughs> Because that's just what happens. Um, but when I first wake up, man, I'm good and it's quiet and I get alone and I, I have a established routine and and um, you know I've talked about that, but I have I have you know old church sort of uh, uh, historical type prayers that I do that get me on track. I have a established Bible reading that I go through, um, you know, throughout the year that keeps me going, and and those readings are separate from the stuff that I do. To, to share with you. That's my time. Um, for, for a while, as a pastor, I had more of a business relationship with God, and that's what it felt like, where my time was spent studying and preparing, and I realized I wasn't, I, I was missing out that part that I needed to have that was about me and him. And, and so that's the part that I encourage you to get. Because you could, I, I know that you could say, well, that's what you do. Of course you spend that time. Um, apart from that, that's a whole different realm of time that I spend studying and preparing. That's a whole other thing. Um, that's part of you know my calling. I'm talking about my own private, personal time hanging out with God, and that that um, you need to develop that in your life. Let me encourage you. Uh, you know, and it came up about prayer, and in in regards to prayer, uh, I journal that stuff every every morning. I I journal my prayers, and um, I keep track of them. And you know, I I can see when they're answered. I remember, and I, you know, I I I get excited, and um, it's a good process. So you may want to do that. I think it's very helpful. And, you know, when you journal, and, you know, not only am I, you know, sort of 
writing some of my prayers out. I'm also listening, and I will... It's amazing how often I feel like I'm getting something back, and I'll write that down and kind of think about it. Go from there. So, um, you can see again, God answers prayers, but, you know, not... It's not... He's not a vending machine, and people get frustrated because we're so used to things. It's not a, if you always do A and B, C is always the end result. You know, if I put a quarter in and pull the lever, I ought to get this. That's not how it works. But God answers prayer, and you need to be aware of that. Okay. Now, um, verse 31, my computer just went nuts, talks about the birthright that happens here. And so a birthright was a special honor that was given to the firstborn son. And in effect, it included a double portion of the family inheritance along with the honor of one day becoming the family's leader. So a very patriarchal society at this point in time. And so that was a big deal. In the house. So double the inheritance of all, any other son and he, the, the ultimate leader of the family. Um, the oldest son could sell the birthright or give it away if he chose, but in so doing, he would lose both material goods and his leadership position. So by trading his birthright, Esau shows the disregard for the spiritual blessings that would have come his way if he'd have kept it. But he traded it off, and we find in verses 32 and 33, he traded the lasting benefits of his birthright for the immediate pleasure of food. So he acted on impulse, satisfying his immediate desire without pausing to consider the long-range consequences of what he was about to do. Now I say all that because we can fall into that trap very easily. Um, when we see something we want, our first impulse is to get it. And, and um, uh, at first we'll often feel you know, intensely satisfied uh, and maybe even powerful because we've obtained what we set out to get. But immediate pleasures often lose sight of the future. And, and you know, to me, this is sort of the, the battle that we face, and it's like where temptation is. Um, uh, we will sometimes compromise what's best for the long term for an immediate short-term gain, and we're just not thinking about it. And, and that um, wisdom would tell us that we need to really sort of weigh things out well before we make decisions on an impulse. Anybody here ever made a bad decision on impulse? Uh, <laughs> and, and again, you know, I, I think we learn over time, um, but, but again, this is why. And, and so the birthright is an amazing, amazing process, again, given to the firstborn son. And uh, leadership, twice a thing. So here's the whole process uh, that I wanted to get to. As, as believers in Christ, we have an inherited birthright um, status uh, through Jesus as the firstborn son of God. And, and as his only begotten son, Jesus receives the kingdom from his father and is Lord of all. And Christ, in the New Testament, promises to share with us his kingdom and inheritance. And, and so we are, we are um, partakers of this birthright in Christ, which is an amazing deal because of the spiritual blessings that come from it and, and all that it involves and means in the kingdom of God. And so we, we need to be careful because of that, that we don't act like Esau did on impulse and, and um, 
lose out on the blessings of the birthright that, that we can have. And so, you know, the, the, the part is this, and I'm not talking about, you know, uh, you, you know we're going to keep pressing the Lord. We will make mistakes sometimes and all those things. But, but in, so, in this walk, we need to keep our focus on Jesus to the best of our ability, and that's how we're going to press on. And, and um, Jesus is the appointed heir of all things, and, and through His grace and by our faith in Him, we're counted, the Bible says, as joint heirs in this whole process. And I think if we'll remember that when we're, we're making some decisions sometimes, that that should, you know, sort of help us to not make impulse bad decisions and to know they know that sometimes the better things need to be waited for. Um, and, and it's another picture of like, you know, when, when Abraham and Sarah went with the promise of the son and they jumped the gun because they were tired of waiting and now you have Ishmael in the mix who's going to cause a lot of problems. Um, throughout throughout history, that whole thing, where if they'd have just waited, they would have been okay. And and again, we like Esau. Esau passed up on amazing spiritual blessings for for a bowl of stew. So uh, and so he was really hungry. And at that point, his hunger was like, I just want to satisfy my hunger, so I don't care. But but that's get that feeling. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we're just in the middle of a situation where I just want this fixed and I don't care what the cost is. And that's a bad way to make decisions. Don't make decisions like that. Um, you know, trust in the Lord. Don't sell yourself short. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Listen to him. Look for him. Pray. Um, listen, you know, for direction. Do the next right thing because that's where we find life. All right. That's enough out of Genesis 25. Next week, we're going to get more into Isaac's life as we continue on, if you're watching my video, thanks for doing that, and uh, we hope to see you soon.